Good morning, True North. I, um, I was told to start at double zeros, and we're at triple zeros, so I believe we're good to go. I hope that you are having a blessed and glorious day this morning, and I trust that you have already entered into the presence of worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What an awesome opportunity it is for me to be with you ordinarily. On a Sunday morning at this very time, I will be on a freeconferencecall.com uh, telephone call with Cold Bay Chapel down almost on the Aleutians where uh, we've been serving uh, over the phone and in person for, for four years. Our four-year anniversary will be Easter Sunday coming up, and, and Lord willing, we'll be on a plane, my wife and I, uh, Thursday flying down to Cold Bay, and we'll be celebrating Easter with them while you're celebrating Easter here in Anchorage. But I say that to you so that you know. Uh, when you gather, we gather, and we gather around the state, we gather around the country and around the world uh, to lift up and to celebrate the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ every Lord's Day, and we count it an honor to fellowship with you here today. Uh, Pastor Philip, uh, let me know that you have been going through the book of Mark, and you started that a couple weeks ago, and, and we're going to kind of review a little bit of the uh, chapters 1 and 2 this morning, and then look at the first few verses of chapter 3. So before we do that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and, um, and we will begin. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you give us the opportunity, Father, to study together your word, to sing together our voices lifted in praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. May you give us, Father, uh, clarity and understanding as to your will in our lives through your word here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading first from Mark chapter 3, the first six verses. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man who was there had a withered hand. And they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. He said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. So when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness in their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Quickly... In the first two chapters of the book of Mark, uh, we, we fast forward into a time of Jesus' ministry uh, that is nearing the halfway mark, if not almost all, already there. We find ourselves in two chapters engaging with our Savior and the disciples as, as he begins to go through uh, the areas, uh, particularly here and around Capernaum, into the synagogues teaching and already, we've seen, you've seen, four conflicts with the Pharisees and the Herodians. And here we, we have a fifth in a very short period of time. 
Some of the questions that were asked by these groups of people as they witnessed Jesus coming into and teaching in and around uh, where they lived uh, in, in, the, in the second chapter of Mark are these. Who is it that can forgive sin? Is it not God alone? Recall that question? A man is being lowered down into the presence of Jesus where there was a crowd assembled in a house and people couldn't get to it and a paralytic man lowered down through the ceiling by four people who cared enough about him to to do whatever it took to bring that person into the presence of Jesus and upon that event taking place the question was not wow praise God this man has been healed but in, in fact it was Who is it that has the power to forgive sin? Is it not God alone? The second question came as Jesus was was eating and drinking with a group of people uh, that were not the religious leaders of the day. Scribes and Pharisees alike condemned Jesus verbally for eating and drinking with tax collectors and those that they considered to be sinners. And Jesus made it plain to them that his purpose coming to earth was not simply to fellowship with those who already had an established system of religion, but in fact, to heal those who were in need of spiritual healing. Why is he eating and drinking with those people? The third question that we find from the scribes and the Pharisees. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? These people who had a history of obeying the law, the Mosaic law, from the time that they were born, they were, they were raised in it, they were taught in it, they were schooled in it, they were, uh, should have been, at that point, uh, the people that knew the most and understood the best, asked the question, why don't you do the things that we do? Why do your disciples not do the things that John's disciples do? And, and why do you not observe uh, the, the, the things that we are observing? Jesus had to explain to them, or try at least, that, that this was not the time uh, for, for his disciples to fast. That was usually reserved for mourning or something bad that had happened in their life. But Here he was making his appearance on earth and his disciples had no need to fast. They could fast when when Christ had gone and when they were apart from him and they had a reason to be sad. But but in this incident, there was no need for them to fast. The fourth question, why uh, are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath, goes back to the story of, of him allowing his disciples to gather grain and to feed themselves. On the Sabbath day. And this uh, kind of began to tip the scales in, in what the, the, the Pharisees and, and the Herodians uh, wanted to do, and that was to find a way, a legal means by which they could persecute and get rid of Jesus Christ. By Christ allowing his disciples to eat that grain and to pluck those heads on, uh, was considered work, and so you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And so that gave them cause to accuse and reason to hold up what was taking place and thereby be able to decry Jesus Christ. 
And now we move into the third chapter where we find yet another opportunity uh, for Christ to come into the synagogue of the day to, to teach, to preach. And what happens on his way in? He encounters the man who had a withered hand, someone who was lame, someone who had a need, someone who could use a touch from the Savior. As he proceeded into the synagogue that day and, and encountered this man, he recognized here, uh, and I'm sure keenly aware, that this was a golden opportunity that the Pharisees had been waiting on to get you. What's he going to do in the synagogue on the Sabbath whereby we can accuse him and find him guilty and finally put to rest all the claims that this one has. Because if he has the ability to forgive sin, only God alone can forgive sin, he's claiming to be God. If he is able to heal and, and, and almost disregard the things that we have, we have held in such high esteem since the earliest of our childhood teachings, if he's able to do this, then our place will be displaced and his place will be elevated if we can catch him doing something on the Sabbath that he's not supposed to be doing, then we've got him. And we can finally be rid of this man Jesus. Today, you and I have the unique ability to look backwards in time. We have the, the, the history books. We have the scripture. We, we know the end of the story, yet those in the presence of Jesus, on this particular Sabbath, when they encountered him coming into the synagogue and doing that thing that they did not believe should be done, they believed at that moment in time that they had caught him transgressing the Old Testament law of the Sabbath and the synagogue, and therefore they had him. At this moment in time, Jesus stood before the Pharisees, he stood before the scribes, and he stood before all of those that were watching him in the synagogue. And he asked the question, is it lawful to heal, to do good, to do something that might benefit someone else? Is it lawful to do that on the Sabbath day? They didn't answer. What would they say? What could they say? There's a lot they could say. They could say, look back at what we've been taught since we were infants. Look back at the law of Moses. Look back at the law of the temple. Look back at all of the things that we have been um, indoctrinated in for all of our whole lives. We can find a whole list of reasons why not. What they didn't factor into their decision-making and their thought process, though, was that this was the promised Messiah, the Holy One of God, the one sent to redeem all of mankind, and they didn't recognize that. Had they heard about him? Yes. Had they studied about him in the prophets? Certainly, they had read Isaiah and numerous prophecies of the coming Messiah, Many of them, the Herodian sect particularly, uh, weren't convinced that Herod himself wasn't the promised Messiah. 
I don't know how deeply you've dug into these different groups of people that we read about in the Scripture, but those of the Pharisees were ones that, that had from their birth been schooled and taught all of the Mosaic Law and all of the Old Testament Law, and they should have been and were revered as experts in the religion of the day, the systems and the way that things were supposed to take place, both in the temple and outside the temple. They were the ones that should have, could have known all of the answers, and they behaved in that way. And this is why they treated Jesus the way that they did. All that they had known, all that they had been taught, all that they had experienced and practiced throughout their whole life was being challenged. It was being thwarted in some ways, and, and their understanding of who God is, who the Messiah is, and what the Sabbath is for was all being tested and challenged and pushed. And Mark records in these chapters that we've been studying. Imagine if you and I walked in this church service today, and someone just came in and began to tell us, you're doing it wrong. That's not how it's supposed to be. Listen to me, I have the answer. Would your first inclination be to say, oh yeah, 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 you're good, come on, stand up front, you're the man. That's that's kind of what you and I would experience today if, if Christ were to come and begin to challenge our understanding, to challenge our missiology, our theology, and our understanding of who Christ is and what the purpose of this day is for. Because that's exactly what he was doing in the first six verses that Mark records in this chapter He says again, Christ was going into the synagogue, as was his habit, as was his custom, as was to be expected. Recall that Christ, in announcing himself to the world, uh, said, I didn't come here to destroy the law. Do you remember that? He, He says this, I did not come to destroy the law. The Son of Man did not come to destroy the law, but in order that the law might be fulfilled. In other words, in his language, in our modern day language, Christ did not come to blow up the Mosaic law. He came to fulfill it in a way that it could not be fulfilled by simple ritual and by simple um, adherence to uh, a certain order of worship or a certain way of doing things. See, he came... And announce to the world that I'm going to show you how to do it. And the way that I do it is going to look a whole lot different than the way that you do it. You're doing it the only way you know how. Can you hear him saying that? To the group at the synagogue, you, you're here. You should be here. It's the Sabbath. But your understanding of the Sabbath is, is skewed. The Sabbath was not made for The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. What they were trying to to do and what they had succeeded in doing was conforming to a set of rules and regulations set forth uh, for them to be able to ritually do the things that they were called to do. And Christ says, look, there's reason for order. It's necessary. You need 
to do things the right way. But we have drifted from the right way. And I'm showing you that compassion and love, and yes, even healing on the Sabbath, doesn't break the rules, it fulfills the rules. Well, what was the purpose of the Sabbath? Rest? The purpose of the Sabbath was for, for you to work for six days in a row and then, then have a time where you could rest and be refreshed, spend time purposefully with God, and to be recharged from the inner man, not just the outer man. And Christ asked the question in other places in the Scripture and poses, poses this scenario regarding the Sabbath. If you, if you have an ox that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you just let it stay? Would you let it remain? Would you leave it there to suffer? Or would you do something about it? The analogy with this man and his withered hand is the same. Notice that they didn't say anything about the man. The man went forth healed. He, he had two good hands after his encounter with Jesus. What do you think his response was? It wasn't that, wow, can we wait till tomorrow maybe to do this because you're not supposed to heal me today. I don't think that you or I, in our encounter and transformational life with Jesus Christ, would put off until tomorrow what Christ could do today, intentionally, would we? The Pharisees clearly were in a place of power. During their existence, their place within the synagogue, the church, represented much power. The Herodians, who thought so much of, of Herod, were in a place where they could, uh, they could gain from the relationships that they had with Herod and his family. Not unlike our society today, political power and who you know is often more important than what you know. These people were existing in a day and in a time where they wanted to provide for their families. They wanted to do the best that they could do. They wanted to achieve whatever they could achieve in this lifetime and, and be able to call themselves successful. It's not any different than you and I today uh, doing the things that we've been taught since we were born and, and engaging in the habits that we have formed over the lifetime that we have, however long or short that that was. But these guys recognized that when the true Messiah came, whether they were willing to admit it or not, whether they were willing to follow or whether their inclination was to reject, that the Son of Man was present with them and he was changing the landscape of their lives. If you followed Christ, you were going to be different. It doesn't mean that you are necessarily going to rebel against every last thing that was, was going on in the synagogue or within those uh, realms of influence behind it. But it did require a transformational thinking and change of heart by which your allegiance went from the rituals and from uh, the, the, the just going along with the, the plan to a mindset that Christ could and did and will be able to change your destiny for all of eternity. 
And whether or not they at the time or we today can really wrap our minds completely around the, the difference that Christ made as he walked into this scene and he walked through these pages of history and he came to the point that today in America we are looking at Palm Sunday, that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Yet on this day, as Mark records it, the decision was being made by those in power, both in, in spiritual realms and in political realms, that this Jesus had to go. You see, they were, they were looking not so much f- for a legal reason at this point, because they thought they had one. By allowing his disciples to pluck the heads of grain on the Sabbath, by healing a man in the synagogue or or right outside the synagogue on the Sabbath, Jesus had done one of the things that they could lawfully accuse him of doing with any hope of being supported by those in power. When they did that, the decision was made By those groups of people, the only way that we're going to be able to take care of this guy is to kill him. We've got to get rid of him. He's threatening everything that we know is right. He's threatening everything that we have grown accustomed to doing. If we follow him, we forsake all that has come before us. Really? Isn't that what the story of Christ is about forsaking all and following him. When we come to the point where we have to make a decision, is Jesus the Christ or is he not? Is Jesus the Lord of my life or is he not? Then we find ourselves in the very same seat of the Pharisees and the Herodians. We saw him heal people. We understand a little bit about what's going on, but we're threatened by the reality of surrender. The decision to crucify Jesus wouldn't be carried out for a few more weeks. Some time is going to pass between the moment that these two groups of people decided that we have to get rid of Jesus. Set in motion will be a chain of events that will lead us, yes, to Jerusalem, to the Palm Sunday triumphal entry, to the Holy Week, to the eventual mock trial, crucifixion, death, and then resurrection of Christ. And we will celebrate that together wherever we are next week with joy unspeakable. But as we consider... In Mark, where we leave this story, Jesus has just done the unspeakable. He's healed someone on the Sabbath. And you know, today we we pray and, and beg God to heal people, don't we? We pray and beg people to have an encounter with Jesus Christ that that it may not be a hand, it may not be a foot, but a whole person who is transformed through that encounter. Today, through the lens of hindsight, you and I can say, wow, those Pharisees, they were bad guys. Those Herodians, no good. They killed our Savior. 
But in the moment, in the moment, you and I have just as significant of of things going on in our life where we must decide, where we must declare, are we going to cling to Christ and possibly suffer the consequences? Or are we going to cling to those traditions and things that we've been taught that, that seem to be a good idea, but that go against what Christ really wants us to do? And that is to surrender all of who we are, all of what we have, and all of what we might be able to be in order to bring glory to God and expand his kingdom. We first hear about Jesus coming on the scene uh, early in Mark. This is what... This is what he says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make path, make straight his paths. Mark was telling us about John the Baptist, but... He was, he was introducing us to the forerunner of Christ. I don't believe that the charge that we have uh, from our Lord and Savior really is any different than that which we read about John. Prepare the way of the Lord. In your life, what can you do to prepare the way for the Lord, for those who come behind you, for those in your household, for those in your family, for those that you work with, for those in your sphere of influence. Prepare the way of the Lord. How do we do that? Make straight the paths. Make it clear and understandable to those around you that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he is the Christ, come from the foundation of the world. It's a joy to be here with you today and to, to study this book of Mark. It's a challenging book. It's one that causes me to look inside at why I am motivated to do what I do. I hope it's one that causes you to look on the inside to see uh, why are you motivated the way that you are. We see examples of those who ask the questions. Is it bad to ask questions? No. No, you should ask questions. There's a lot of questions that need to be asked. But understand that the questions that were being asked in the, in the second and third book of, of Mark are questions that already have been answered. You see, the decision had been made long before the questions were asked by the two groups of people that that are asking the question. They knew that, that they had to get rid of Jesus. You don't need to get rid of Jesus today. And you don't want to get rid of Jesus today. Today, together, we make straight his paths so that all who come behind us can follow them clearly. Father, today, as we, as we look into your word. God, there are things 
in our lives that we struggle with. There are ideas, there are questions that we have. Father, our questions are those that, where we seek clarity, not accusation. Those questions are questions that cause us to want to walk closer to you. I pray today, Father, that through this scripture, through this uh, time of worship and understanding, God, that through the lives of others, we can see clearly the will that you have for our life. In Jesus' name, amen.